0: Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter eight verses thirteen through twenty. Can be found in your pew Bible on page one thousand six hundred and sixty-two. One thousand six hundred and sixty-two. I'm going to read from verse twelve to verse 20. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, My testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where's your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. Thus far the reading of God's holy word may he Blessed to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. So we are back in the Gospel of John. Uh, If I recall correctly, based on my documentation, the last time we were in the Gospel of John, it was last year, November 19th, when I preached on John chapter 8, verse 12, the light of the world. In that case, it might be a good idea if we do a bit of review in order for us to know where we are uh, in the Gospel of John and have a bit of context. If any of you are familiar with the Gospel of John, you will know that much of it is about the identity of Christ, His divinity, and His authority. And therefore, John chapter 1, the prologue, explains to us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John the Baptist then testifies to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, Jesus calls his first disciples. And then in chapter 2, we hear about his first miracle, changing the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. Then in chapter 3, Jesus teaches Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, about the nature of spiritual birth, regeneration, as we call it. And then in John chapter 4, the famous story of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, a prefiguring of The gospel breaking into Gentile nations. And then in chapter 5, we have the famous story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. There in chapter 5, Jesus gives a testimony of himself. He's brought before the religious leaders. And there he claims that the father testifies for him. Moses testifies for him. And it's a very legal looking situation and circumstance. John chapter 6, the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we are also told there that Jesus expresses the truth that he is the bread of life. This is offensive to many. And they turn away from him. But in that story, in that narrative, in that dialogue, we hear much about the true nature of salvation. The fact that no one can come to the Father unless they are drawn. or No one can come to the Son unless they are drawn by the Father. And then in chapter 7, Jesus goes to the feast of tabernacles there and begins to teach at the feast, saying many of uh, the famous I am statements, I am the bread of life, and then of course we heard of the one that we read this morning, I am the light of the world. Gives you a better idea maybe of where we're at in the narrative And we're going to continue on preaching through John as we move forward to the Christmas season. I have an illustration that I want to get across to you. But in order to do that, I think uh, it might be helpful if uh, we bring the lights down in the sanctuary. So could you do that for me? Now, congregation, I want you, as the lights are coming down, I know we have the windows open, but it will be darker in here. I want you to imagine that you have been trapped in a dark place for some time, a cave, whatever you want to think. You have been in this place for a long time. Then one day, you're rescued, and you're brought out into the light again. You've been away from the light for so long, and it, it feels a little bit like this. Bring the lights back up again. Now, even though that you've been in the dark for a long time, I want to explain to you that what you're seeing right now is something called light. And maybe it would be crazy, right? If many of you were to say, that's not light. But how can one explain light? Is not the nature of light self-evident, either you recognize it for what it is, or you don't. Can you imagine convincing someone that what they were seeing is light? That's exactly what we have in our passage this morning. St. Augustine said these very words, a light reveals itself, as well as other objects. So the light bears witness of itself. It lightens the eyes that are healthy and is its own witness so that men recognize it as light. Our theme this morning, when faced with the light of the world, unbelieving hearts reject. Unbelieving hearts embrace. When faced with the light of the world, unbelieving hearts reject. And believing hearts embrace. Point one is the unbelieving hearts of the Pharisees. That's expressed to us in verse 13 of our passage this morning. Point two is the identity of the light of the world, which we see defended by Christ in verses 14 through 18. And then point three is the challenge to believe and embrace, verses 19 and 20. So, Let's first start by looking at the unbelieving hearts of the Pharisees. The unbelieving hearts of the Pharisees exposed. Verse 13. In response to Jesus' claim that he is the light of the world, they say this. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Christ proclaimed that he is the light of the world. He had no caveats, he had no further references or explanations. He simply said, I am the light of the world. And he promised life to all those who follow him. They're saying that this claim to absoluteness is invalid since he's doing so on the basis of his own authority. They seek to invalidate his witness by use of their precious law. Law. These are the Pharisees, remember, the most outstanding citizens of the Jewish people at the time, the experts in the law, those who were instructed to keep the covenant people of God faithful to the covenant law. The Deuteronomical law required two or three witnesses to establish a testimony. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, states on the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death, but no one is if be put the death on the testimony of only one witness. Deuteronomy 19.15 states, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense. They may have committed a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This law is the reason why the United States of America has the policy that you are innocent until proven guilty. I don't know if any of you have been watching the news lately, but... It's very disturbing to see that the tables have turned. And now it's guilty until proven innocent. The whole debacle with Kavanaugh is the reality that our society and culture is giving up the standard of God's law. Only two or three witnesses can establish a testimony. But the Pharisees are using this. Because they want to invalidate the identity of Jesus Christ. His testimony is not valid because according to Mosaic law, you can't be your own witness. What we're seeing here is an expression of stubborn unbelief. This is what the unregenerate human heart does when faced with the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. That is to say that this is what the unbelieving heart does when the light of the world is shining in front of them and they say, that's not light. That's not light. Richard Phillips says that this accusation is disingenuous for two reasons. He says, first... The requirement for two witnesses pertained to criminal cases in which capital punishment would be the result. But this was not a criminal case, nor even a formal hearing. If they had really wanted to follow the law, they would have consulted the Old Testament requirements for testing a prophet, which followed a different procedure that Jesus fully met. Number two, he says that this accusation is disingenuous. Because the Pharisees had already received multiple witnesses. I want you to consider already the witness of John the Baptist, the prophet who is like Elijah. The witness of Nicodemus who is himself a Pharisee and said, We know that you are a teacher from God. The testimony of the lame man healed at the pool in John 5. So on and so forth. They had multiple witnesses. But yet, they ignore them. For the sake of this accusation. Later we're told by Christ. That their unbelieving hearts caused them to judge by human standards as the NIV says. The Greek here is actually according to the flesh. According to the sarks, And this is important because flesh brings with it often a theological meaning of sinful nature. And that could be something that John is bringing to mind for us. Their rejection comes from the fact that Jesus didn't fit into their worldly agenda. In the years following Christ's ascension, many false messiahs rose up and said, I'm the Messiah, and they adopted the Pharisees' platform. And what do you know? Because they adopted the Pharisees' platform, they received the Pharisees' endorsement. Christ was unwilling to do this. Because he had come not to do the will of man, but to do the will of his Father. And may this be a reminder to us that Christ is not here to fit into our worldly agenda. And when we look at the Christ that we believe, and we see that the Christ that we believe is very much like us, and likes all the things that we like, and wants all the things that we want, we should be very, very concerned. Christ is not a Republican. Christ is not a Democrat. Christ has one party platform, and it is the platform of his Father who is in heaven. He has come to do what he desires for him to do. And Christ calls all party platforms to bend the knee to his rule and reign. Phillips tells us also that this reveals two characteristics about unbelief. This is important. Number one, unbelief. Rejects Jesus because he does not conform to our party interest. Jesus did not come to advance any party platform. He came to challenge, capture, and transform all earthly agendas under his rule. He would not bend the knee to the party platform of the Pharisees. And he will not do so today either. And number two, we see in this encounter that unbelief is not, in fact, an intellectual matter, it is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. Recently, I went to a gathering that started to prepare us and help us think of ways in which we can do the Explore God Chicago initiative that we're going to be doing at the beginning of the year as a church, answering these seven important questions that seekers of God have. I think it's important for us to do this because we need to realize that so many other churches who may be doing this are going to put those unbelievers who are coming in the judgment seat, and they're going to say, we want you to think about God. We want you to explore God. Maybe you have some intellectual issues with God, so we're going to explain those. In fact, at this very gathering, this gentleman held up the Bible and said, and we're not going to use the Bible because unbelievers don't believe the Bible. But unbelief is not an intellectual matter. It is a matter of the heart. And these unbelievers must be faced with the truth of God's revelation in Jesus Christ and the truth of the Scripture. We'll talk more about that later. Let's look at the second point. The identity of the light of the world is expressed. So the first point, the unbelieving hearts of the Pharisees are exposed. The second part is the identity of the light of the world is expressed, verses 14 through 18. This is going to be broken up into two parts. The first is the self-testimony of Jesus Christ, and the second is the testimony of God the Father. So let's look at the self-testimony, verses 14 and 15. Jesus, in response to this accusation, answers, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Christ's response is concerning his identity. As the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, he can testify to himself or of himself. Now, I want us to consider, why exactly is it valid for Christ to testify on his own behalf? Why is it valid for him to do it and not others? Let's consider the words in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, which state this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Concerning the promise God made to Abraham, the covenant of grace itself, we are told that since there was no one greater for God to swear by, God swore by himself. Now this is why I have an issue with saying, we're not going to use the Bible Because if you don't use the Bible, then the Bible is not your ultimate authority. Something else is. Reason is. Human reason is. And here in this moment, Jesus is saying, I can be my own testimony. I can testify to myself because I am an ultimate. I am the highest. That is the very nature of an ultimate, is it not? He can testify of himself because as the ultimate, as the greatest, as the only uncreated, who has no beginning and no end, there is no one else greater who can testify for him. This is what Christ means when he says, For I know where I come from and where I am going. I know where I am come from and I know where I'm going. This constant refrain in John's gospel is about the uniqueness of Christ's heavenly origin. This is important for us to understand. I've heard it said that you would think I'm silly, right? If I told you that I have the fastest car in the world and I'm going to prove it to you by towing it down the racetrack. But that's exactly what we do when we give up the authority of God's word to prove the authority of God's word doesn't make sense, does it, right? And this is what Jesus will not do. This is what Jesus is not going to do in this encounter. He's not going to give up his authority as the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, born from all eternity, to prove that he is the Son of God. He's not going to stop shining as the light of the world because in the face of unbelief, People are denying that he is the light of the world. There's this constant refrain in John's gospel I come from heaven, I'm going to heaven. I come from the Father, I'm going to the Father. It's about the uniqueness of Christ's heavenly origin. His origin and destination speak to the validity of his self testimony. He's from the Father, he's going to the Father. He's in the Father. The Father is in him. Therefore, his testimony is always substantiated by the Father, even if not expressly stated, and is always to be accepted. Christ's very identity as the light of the world means that his very person is self-attesting. Philip says this, Imagine Albert Einstein being asked to present his college transcripts before lecturing on physics. We would laugh if someone demanded that Michael Jordan prove his right to speak on the subject of basketball. Far less should anyone stand before Jesus Christ and demand evidence to prove his divine teaching. In a sense Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. If you knew who I was you wouldn't be asking this question. But because the Pharisees will not accept his true identity, will not accept his origin or his destiny, they will not accept his claim of authority. This is an act of the will. This is a suppression of the truth. It's like when people say, I don't believe in God and I hate him. They are saying to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, I will not have you to." Rule over me. Therefore, I object to your claims. Let's look at the testimony of the Father, though, verses 16 through 18. But if I do judge, he says, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So even though Jesus says, I can be my own witness, here he jumps into the Pharisees' arena for a moment to prove a point. It's kind of what Proverbs says, don't answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes or answer a fool according to his folly so that he can see the error of his ways. So you're stepping into... The worldview of another so that you can sow that person the folly of their worldview, right? So even though he could be his own witness, he jumps into their position. This is why he says, your law. Christ is not despising the Mosaic law. He's appealing to it because they accept its authority, right? He's appealing to it because he accepts, they accept its authority. He seems to be responding by saying, well, your law requires two witnesses, The testimony of two men is valid? I got something for you then. Let's look at the important word here. The testimony of two men. Christ is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, well, your your law requires the testimony of two men. Well, is the testimony of two divine persons, God the Father and God the Son, sufficient for you? Is that not superior, ultimately, to the testimony of two mere mortals? Can Jesus Christ, who is the one who inspired by his spirit the very Mosaic law which they are appealing to, say that I've got two witnesses? Therefore, as he had done before, Jesus reveals that his other witness is his Father, the one who sent him. Christ is not alone. He stands with the Father, and He speaks only what the Father speaks. He does only what the Father has called Him to do. He is walking in this perfect obedience to the Father's will. What we are seeing happening here in this encounter is Christ pulling back the blinds so that we can see into the heart of unbelief and know it for what it truly is. The word of God is showing us that they have placed God in the dock. They, the Pharisees, are in the judge's seat. But is that reality? Just the other day, I saw a bumper sticker. It said, try Jesus. I hate that bumper sticker. And I'm sorry if any of you haven't. I will provide a scraper for you to take it off after the service. Try Jesus. One time Rick Warren was on the news. And he said, this is a perfect time. Give Jesus a 30-day trial. This is the Lord of glory. The last person who tried Jesus was Pontius Pilate. And if he didn't repent, he's in hell. Jesus is not a product to try. He is the God of the universe who holds it together by the power of his word. And these Pharisees are putting Jesus in the dock. And they are standing over him as judge. But what Jesus shows us is that really he is the judge, and they are in the dock. Even though they thought they were bringing the weight of the law down upon Christ, Christ is showing them that the law is condemning them. The tables have turned. This is a lawsuit, where the law, which the Pharisees believed to be on their side, turns out to be on the side of Jesus. They wanted to confront Christ with the law, but were not realizing that it is precisely in Christ himself, the light of the world, that they are being confronted. Philip says, Jesus rejects their arrangement. He is the Lord of glory, not a beggar in the courtroom of our minds to insist that Jesus stand trial before our reason and sensibilities is to ensure that the only Jesus we will accept, if any, is not the true Jesus who alone can save. That's the testimony of Christ as to his identity as the light of the world. Let's finally look at the challenge to believe and embrace that is extended in verses 19 through 20. So in response to this witness that Christ gives, they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. if you knew me, you would know my father also. he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. And no one seized him because his time had not yet come. But even in the face of this, even in the face of this revelation of God in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, they asked Christ, you can't call upon a witness who cannot present himself. Where is your father? They continue to judge according to the flesh, confusing most likely between divine fatherhood, Christ is calling upon the Father in heaven as his witness, and natural fatherhood. They're telling Christ, where's your dad, if you're going to call him as... The witness. Their lack of this knowledge is revealed as what is preventing them from accepting Jesus' word as true and legally valid. Jesus says, you don't know, and that's why you don't know. You don't know, and that's why you don't know. Maybe I can help you understand. He's saying... My Father has chosen not to reveal this to you. And simply because He has not chosen to reveal this to you does not mean that I will water it down for you. Maybe you think that's circular. Maybe you think that's circular reasoning that Jesus would say, you don't know me or my Father. For if you knew me, you would know my Father also. You might not like it, the fact that Jesus is saying that what is required here is a special work of the Holy Spirit. That just as he spoke to Nicodemus, he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot know Jesus Christ. And you cannot realize that Jesus Christ is exegeting the Father. That he is the one who is revealing the Father to us. Unless you are born again. In fact, many of us don't like that. Because that means that we are not in control. Because it means it's not up to us. Because it means that I can't learn enough to finally understand the revelation of God. It means that in some way we are like infants. Helpless. Passive. It means that all that we can do is in some way cry out to God, God may you soften this hard heart and may you help me to understand and may you reveal Jesus Christ to me. See, the argument provided by Christ is going to be lacking to the person who doesn't know Christ. Just as I said earlier, you can't explain to someone what light is. Either they know it when they see it Or they don't. Our calling is to present Christ the light of the world. And to let God do the rest. For God's revelation in Christ will not subject itself to human control. And cannot be required to legitimate itself to human standards. Oh, so you don't believe in the word of God? then we won't use the word of God. That's what I'm talking about. This revelation can only be known by those who have been granted the status of children of God. But don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking here of a blind leap of faith. I'm not speaking here of something that does not require the intellect and does not require the mind. Rather, it is one's response to the revelation of God and Christ Jesus through his words and through his deeds that someone comes to know the Father and accept Christ's claims of divinity. And it is that decision of faith that this dialogue is leading to. Christ will not let them find a way around who He is. He offers no way of escape. In His coming, you are faced with only two options. To harden your unbelieving hearts to the light of the world To look into the face of the light of the world and say, that's not light. Or to believe and embrace the Son of God as the giver of life. Consider the words that Jesus said himself in John chapter 3. He said, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Are we not seeing that expressed in our text today? Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. People of God, this morning, I want to present to you an opportunity That you have been shown here in God's word. The revelation of the Father in Jesus Christ. The light of the world. And as the writer of the Hebrews said. To those who were receiving his words. Do not harden your hearts. As the generation who wandered in the wilderness. But rather in the face of Jesus Christ. May you Believe. May you embrace, may you accept His claims of divinity, and may you know Christ as Christ has revealed Himself. And in that revelation, may you marvel at the grace God has shown you. By making you children of God. On the other hand. Any who are here today. Who still harden their hearts. Against the Lord of glory. In the face of his revelation. I pray. That you would get on your knees. And beg the Father in heaven. That he may cause you to know his grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, may we know the light of the world. All the more, as believers, may we be conformed to the image of your son. May we renew our minds. May we know the truth and the grace that is in Christ Jesus, our faithful Savior, our only comfort in life and in death. Amen.